very much of an anticipation song. And for a lot of us, sometimes all it does is we hear it, we don't think about the words, we just think about almost that somber Christmas service, or we think about the Christmas season, and we just kind of glaze over. We start to realize that we're not really listening to the words, we're more so just listening and trying to experience the emotions and the feelings that it brings. It's like smelling a fresh Christmas tree. Sometimes we don't even really care about the tree, we just want the smell, right? Because it just brings back that, that aroma and that essence there's no other time in my family's household that decorations are really put up. My wife has a whole separate section for Christmas blankets. Yeah, I saw some of the girls' faces like, that's amazing. It's until you don't have closet space, then it is. I don't have closet space anymore because we have like a Christmas blanket for every day of the month. Um, and so as we break down the song uh, that we so beautifully got to hear and, and witness, it starts off with, O come, O come, Emmanuel, a ransom captive Israel, the mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And this is actually drawing from a lot of the Old Testament. See, I think a lot of times when we start thinking about the birth of Jesus and we start thinking about this season, we think about the, what Jesus came to do and that he's coming. We're in anticipation for that. And we forget about the countless treasures and promises and truths that were given to us in all of the Old Testament to point us to what we sometimes let fall to the back burner, which is the birth of Christ. I think a lot of us in this room, if we were being honest with ourselves and not just trying to be churchy, like the traditions, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the activities, the baking, right? They, my family, their family even does Christmas baking, which I benefit from because it's fantastic. They bake all the cookies, I eat them, Right? But all these things are taking place, and somehow, for just a split one-hour moment on Christmas Eve, you pop into your church and do a Christmas Eve service, and you, you say, hey, thank you for sending me Jesus, and then you go and get ready for Christmas Eve and wrapping gifts and expectation of the gifts to be opened. And Jesus somehow is this like down to the 20th list of importance for us. But if we call ourselves believers, if we truly say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and we, and we say this, the word of God is truth, then we need to have the same anticipation and the same, same depth that actually the Old Testament provided for us. And so we read in Isaiah 7, 14, it says this, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. See, so often, even in the Christmas season, right, we, we start thinking of the lists and the gifts and the activities and how are we going to accomplish all this? How are we going to get the best out of Christmas break? How are we going to be able to just exemplify everything that we want this season? Even the holidays, even like Thanksgiving, that's meant to be about thankfulness. Christmas, that's about giving gifts. We've made it about ourselves. Instead of just giving gifts to people, we want to be now the best gift giver. We want, that, we want to be that person at the Christmas party who has the ugliest sweater. Plug for our Christmas party, right? All of a sudden, even the holidays that should be bringing us out of ourselves are making us more thinking about how can we do Christmas the best. And if we take this to the whole scope of our lives, we also think how can we save ourselves the trouble of heartache? How can we save ourselves the trouble of loneliness this season? How can we 
fill the gaps that the brokenness of sin has created in our life. And and this Christmas hymn writer looked back at Scripture and he realized that there were a lot of glimpses like Isaiah 7 that said, hey, you're, you're too broken. You're too weak. You were never created to save yourself. You were never created to suffice your own joy, to suffice your own confidence, your own purpose, your own design. And so all along, even from the garden, when God promised a Savior back in Genesis 3, even in the prophets, he starts saying, hey, I am the creator, and I am the one that can bring salvation. That's why the solution to our sin and our problems and the ultimate problem, which is death, had to be Emmanuel. It had to be God with us. God in the flesh. There was no other reality to be true. And so we see this, O come, O come, Emmanuel. They're beckoning the one that can actually save, the Messiah, the promise all the way from Genesis 3.15. And I love this fact because as soon as Adam and Eve messed up, did God have to extend the time of his creation? Did God have to come in flesh to take the cross? Do we in our own deserve that type of love? No. A God that is that just and that holy and that good and that, that righteous could have just said, Adam and Eve, good job. Unless, at least, now I don't have to worry about it anymore. And yet he said, no, I'm going to enter into creation. Take on the likeness of humanity and suffer beyond any point they could ever suffer. Die the death that they're all going to die and conquer the one thing that they can't conquer themselves, which is sin. And if you read through the whole Old Testament, why did, we, why, why did kings get introduced into Israel? Because Israel at first didn't have kings. They were led by God. And what they do? They turned into the little sibling and were like, hey, so like, hey God, like all of them have kings. Why don't we have a king? And if you're a little sibling in here, you know exactly what that's like. Because I am. And I always did that with my brother. Hey mom, why does he get to do that? Well, he's also two years older than you. Oh, you're right. Right? It, they innately just turned into little children and were like, hey, why don't we get a king? And God's like, I'm literally God. And I'm leading you as your king. Not good enough. We want a king. The judges that came about to help guide Israel, the prophets that spoke redemptive conviction to them that said, hey, you keep going down this path, you will be destroyed. If you repent and trust in God Almighty, you shall be saved. God didn't have to do any of these things, and yet this was his heart, that he was going to come and ransom us from the loneliness that is sin and shame and brokenness in our lives. It goes on to say, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. 
Isaiah 11, verse 1 tells us, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It seems kind of vague. I get that. Jesse was whose dad? King David's. What was the promise to King David? The Messiah would come from as long as long as his people were faithful, there would always be a king on the throne. And in that, they, they were anticipating, they were waiting for that king. And they didn't get it right by any means. And yet God was still faithful through and through all their really crappy picks of kings to exile, to the prophets, through the 400 years of silence to the New Testament when the true king comes onto the scene. And what's that fruit that the root of Jesse, that the rod of Jesse is going to bear? He's going to save us from the tyranny of our sin and our shame. He's going to save us from that enslavement, that entrapment that we all feel with sin. Whether it's lying, anger, cheating, hatred, gossip. Whatever your vice is and these things that that you cling to, this vanity that you think you can do it all without God. He came to ransom you from that. Because no matter how much you all try to improve yourselves, no matter how much I try to make myself a better person, it doesn't happen unless we have the one who created all with us. The one who truly rules over sin and death. The one who is the true king from that promise of the king of David. When I try to rule my own heart, when I try to put myself back on my throne, life is miserable because I suck and I fail daily. And I'm sure a lot of you in this room are feeling that even maybe extra this season. A lot of us in this room are dealing with hurt from family, from friends, lost of loved ones, lack of love from the people that should be loving us. We're stuck under this weight of brokenness. And we try to fill it with all the wrong things. We try to pay the ransom ourselves. But there's only one who can ransom us, and that's that fruit that he's going to give us victory over the grave. It then goes on to say, Oh, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Advent season. Drive away the shades of the night and pierce the clouds and bring us light. Luke 1, 7, 8 states this for us. It says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide, over, or to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1 is actually the opening of, of a prophecy from Zechariah that they're now attesting to the birth of Jesus. So who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can take the darkness that is encompassing your life, that's hurting your heart, clogging your mind, making you feel like absolute garbage. Jesus is the only one that can bring clarity to those moments. It says he brings you to the way of peace. Not friends, not drugs and alcohol, not relationships, Not those dark, deep sins that you like to keep to yourself in the quiet of night. It says only Jesus can pierce the darkness of our hearts and our minds and bring light. 
For some of you in this room, that darkness is this unbelief. It's this reality that you don't like the gospel, you haven't given your life to Jesus, and you're still lost in complete darkness. The only solution to that is giving your life to Christ. And for some of you, you are believers, and you're in seasons of doubt, struggle, depression, pain, hurt. And you start filling the void with all things but time with Jesus. We feel like God always becomes distant from us, and that's the reason that light seems so dim in our lives. When in reality, it's been you, the one who's been walking away. Could you imagine if you just turned around and you would see that Jesus was right there? You would realize you're the ones who took your eye off the cross, off the light source. He is right there to bring it to us, to the way of peace. Oh, come, thy king of David, come, the key of David, Come, O open wide your heavenly home, make safe the way that leads us high, and close the path to misery. How many of you guys have ever felt misery before? I think there's some of us who feel it on a daily basis, right? Misery just strikes, it's like gut wrenching, it's just man, like I don't loss of a family member, diagnosis, bad grades people gossiping about you. We think misery has to be this like extreme. Sometimes misery comes in small little doses that just blindsides you and knock you off your game. And it just nails us into a season of depression and we don't know how to get out. How many of you guys have ever felt stuck in life? I felt stuck. How many of you guys feel trapped by something? There's sins that I feel trapped with all the time. Do you guys hold the key to unlock that? If you listen to the world, you got the key to unlock everything, right? Because the world just tells you, follow your heart, Disney. You can still go to the park. It's fine. Maybe just don't watch all the movies. Um, no. But, but that's the slogan of the world, right? Follow your heart. How many of you guys have watched movies like, like Princess Diary and all, any Hallmark movie you want to ever watch, right? Listen, my wife yells at me every time I bring it up in a sermon. Um, <laughs> But right, the slogans are always like, oh, I just had a look within and I found the answer. Like they had the key to success in life and health and wealth all along. You have the key. You just got to find yourself. No, actually, see, the, the hymn writer, the, the carol writer here got it right. He's, he's calling for the one that has the key of David. He's calling out to the one who's the true key master. The one who truly understands your brokenness, how you're trapped, what you're being wrapped up in. The one who truly understands it better than even yourself. Revelation chapter 1, 17 through 20 tells us this. It says, when I saw him, John John is seeing the risen Jesus. The apostle John is literally seeing Jesus glorified. So the fact that he could get words out at all blows my mind still. Maybe it's why some of his descriptions are a little weird, but it's, he's trying to describe Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus and John are right there, and John realizes who he's in front of, and he falls to his knees. He falls completely broken, knowing that he is in the presence of the king of the true Savior. And this is what it says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the key of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen to those that are and to those um, that shall take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampposts, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampposts are the seven uh, are, yeah, are the seven churches. This imagery, and it might seem weird to you guys, Revelation is always a weird book to read. I can make it pretty easy for you. Seven's the number of perfection, right, in Scripture. What it's saying is this risen Jesus is reigning and ruling, and he's holding his church. Not just Indian rocks. He is holding the universal church, right, his whole body, right? We, we're called Christians, but really we're the body of who? We're the body of Christ. He's holding the whole church with his right hand. What hand did he use to comfort John that I just read? Huh? His right hand. It, do you think that's by accident? No, he's proving that he is so sovereign and so good and so powerful and so caring and intimate with every single one of us that while he is still holding his whole church together... He can reach down and grab Matt while his little one's in the hospital and say, hey, Matt, I want you to know I have a body of believers around you. I care for you. I love you. I'm here for you. All the while still holding his church together. Hey, Cheryl, you're going to be in charge of a lot of cool things, but it's going to come at the cost of your son. But because of what your son's sacrifice was, you are now going to impact the lives of many. Some of you have benefited from those scholarships and those games that they've played in baseball. And does it hurt Cheryl's heart to not have her son this side of heaven? Absolutely. But God still holds his church and holds Cheryl so sweetly. There's some of you in here walking through broken home situations right now. You think God's too far gone. You don't think God can't hold his church and hold you at the same time. He's saying it right here. With my right hand, I comfort John. And with my right hand, I hold the church. And just a few chapters after, as, he's, as John is writing these letters that Jesus wanted him to write, this specific one says, To the angel in the church of Philadelphia, go eagles, not really. Um, but, <laughs> but the word of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David... So Jesus is saying, I have the key of David who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Guys, whether you think you have it all together or not. I just want to even the playing field for all of us. You don't. I'm really thankful a lot of you are thinking about college. You got the athletics going. You guys are way busier than you really should be at this point. But you will never unlock true life, true purpose, true love, true redemption 
until you actually get your life right with the one who holds the key. So as Israel is crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, guys, this Christmas season, it's not all glitz, glamour, tinsels, rainbows, and, and cats trying to eat stuff. This holiday season is stupidly hard for a lot of us. You don't have to fake it when you're here. You don't have to fake it ever, but at least if we can give you a safe spot here with your youth leaders, you don't have to fake it. Can I challenge you guys, students, please look at me. If you've slept through this whole thing and you're just now listening, please just look at me. Let this season truly represent what it should be, and that is the birth of our Savior. Not only is this season about a baby, the birth of baby Jesus, right? Eight pounds, six ounces, baby Jesus. Talladega Nights. Anyone in here other than my youth leaders? All right, sweet. <laughs> All right, good. A couple, a couple head nods. We got it. Um, I pray that you do not miss out on this most important gift. Because we all are broken. And we're all trying to fix it and figure it out. But there's only one person who holds the key to unlock you from your weights of sin and shame. And that's Jesus. Jesus says, I was once dead and I'm now alive forevermore. Let him give you life. Let him give you true hope, true meaning, and true purpose. Amen? Let's bow our heads and our hearts. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices. You don't leave us to our own thoughts. God, you provide the answer. You provide the way, and you're consistent. You promised it all the way from the first book in the Bible. You promised it from the beginning of time that you were going to bring us salvation. And you followed through. God, I pray for all of us in this room, whether we are saved or not, that we just sit on the reality that you are a God who is faithful to your word. You are a God who is faithful to save. And you are a God who will never let his children be broken ever again. God, if there's some of us in this room who need to give our lives to Jesus, Lord, I pray that they don't leave here tonight without making that choice to surrender their life to King Jesus and experience what true life can be. Father, be with us in our small group time. Love on us, care for us, and help us to enjoy this season with family and friends and find hope in the midst of a very dark season, honestly, for a lot of us, God. Let us find hope that you can give us true joy. I pray this in the Son's name, Jesus. And all his people said, amen.